0: We are going to be in Luke chapter one and starting in verse five this morning as we begin this new series that I've titled God with us, as obviously that comes from the title given to Jesus that his name shall be Emmanuel, which means God with us. And we'll look into that more next week. But this week we are starting with our Advent theme of hope. As as we prepare to begin a new series and launch in this season of Advent, we're going to take a systematic approach to the Christmas story. And this will have us moving between the gospel accounts to see God's sovereignty, to see God's providence and his goodness. And we're ultimately going to see God's desire to be with his people and to have his people glorify him and make his glory known as this is the storyline of all history. Now, this morning, we're starting this series by looking at Luke's gospel account, as I've already mentioned, and we're going to see true hope displayed in the lives of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And in doing so, we'll learn from their example of faith, as well as we'll see the Lord's grace, we'll see his plans and his purposes displayed in this part of the Christmas story. Because it's often one of the overlooked parts of the Christmas story. And finally, we will see how this part of the birth narrative of Jesus provides us with an example and definition of true biblical hope. Because we all have that that common definition of hope, which is wishful thinking in some way, shape, or form. At least that's the, the context in which we typically use the word, I hope that I will eventually shoot a deer this season, as as many times as I have tried already. I hope that this will happen. I hope to do this. We use that as the context of wishful thinking. But we're going to learn this morning that it has, in terms of biblical hope and true hope, it has such deeper context and such deeper meaning for us than that. So hopefully you're already turned in your copy of God's Word and you've got your outline together and ready as that will guide our time through God's Word. And as we prepare to read God's Word, I want to encourage and invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word as you are able. And we will read together from Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5. In the days of King Herod of Judea, There was a priest of Abijah's division named Zechariah. His wife was from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both were righteous in God's sight, living without blame according to all the commands and requirements of the Lord. But they had no children, because Elizabeth could not conceive, and both of them were well along in years. When his division was on duty, and he was serving as priest before God, it happened that he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. At the hour of incense, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. An angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and overcome with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will name him John. There will be joy and delight for you, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will never drink wine or beer. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. How can I know this? Zechariah asked the angel. For I am old, for I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. Now listen, you will become silent and unable to speak until the, the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah, amazed that he stayed so long in the sanctuary. When he did come out, he could not speak to them. Then they realized that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. He was making signs to them and remained speechless. When the days of his ministry were completed, he went back home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and kept herself in seclusion for five months. She said, the Lord has done this for me. He has looked with favor in these days to take away my disgrace among the people. Let's pray. God, we thank you for Christmas, for Advent, and everything that this season provides for us, uh, a true focus on you. So help us to be intentional in this season to focus our attention, both of our minds and our hearts. to to focus together as families and as a church family to seek you in this season of Advent. God, help us as we read your word to to be impacted because we know that your word is living and effective and help us to not leave this place the same, but help us to leave eager to share of the hope that is within us that you have provided. We pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated this morning. so. Luke begins his gospel account in verses 1 through 4, uh, which we did not read, by addressing it to Theophilus. Now, not much is actually known about the person named Theophilus because there is nothing mentioned or written about him. Now, in Greek, his name literally means lover of God. This also gives us insight into the broader audience which Luke was addressing, his gospel account, and the book of Acts. Because Luke writes Luke and Acts to be read synonymously, to be read together. And, not to, and so he wants a complete picture of the gospel to be known to his audience and to Theophilus. He does so to provide them with a solid foundation of faith. And knowing who Jesus was, what he taught, and how the church responded, and then how the church should continue to respond to the gospel. And as we get into Luke's gospel account, we see that he is uh, one of two that include the birth narrative of Jesus, the other being Matthew, of course. And as we will see this morning, Luke does an incredible job of giving us a wealth of information with very few words. Knowing that he is writing to a Gentile audience, he helps us to see how he is purposefully communicating the gospel in a way in which Gentiles will be able to understand and to provide them with background to things that they don't understand. And so with this in mind, we pick up with our first verse this morning as we just read a while ago in verse 5. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest of Obesia's division named Zechariah. His wife was from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So right there, in just a few sentences, Luke gives us incredible insight into the background, the status, and the spiritual life of these two characters that we've just been introduced to, of of Zechariah and Elizabeth. First, we're told that Zechariah is a priest. So this immediately tells us that he is a descendant of the line of Aaron. Not only that, but we're also specifically told that he is Of Abijah's division. So now I don't (coughs) excuse me. I don't want us to to wade off into the weeds here. But in noting these details, Luke reveals to us God's providence in orchestrating this story as only He could. So in noting these details, we get a full picture of what God has been doing, has done, and has been doing from the beginning to set in motion. His plan of setting aside His people to make His glory known throughout the nations. And so let's take a look at some of these details. So this goes all the way back to 1 Chronicles chapter 4, 24, excuse me. If you're taking notes and you just want to write off to the side there, 1 Chronicles 24. And there we see David dividing the duties of the temple. And then uh, he's dividing these duties among the sons of Aaron, which are Eleazar and Ithamar. As these are the two surviving sons of Aaron. So then among Eleazar and Ithamar, they're assigned the different divisions of the priesthood. So among their sons. So we have Eleazar and Ithamar. And among their sons are then divided these divisions. And we read this in 1 Chronicles 24 and verse 5. They were assigned by lot for there were officers of the sanctuary and officers of God among both Eleazar and Ithamar's descendants. So divided by lot, we see among their descendants, among the descendants of Eleazar and Ithamar, we get these divisions of the priesthood, which are, they're dividing up these responsibilities and the sanctuary duties among these officers. So then after listing the sons of Eleazar and Ithamar, we read this in verse 19. These had their assigned duties for service when they entered the Lord's temple, according to their regulations which they received from their ancestor Aaron, as the Lord God of Israel had commanded him. That's 1 Chronicles 24, verse 19, again, if you're taking notes. So Zechariah was part of this order and would have regular worship responsibilities in the temple. As he was part of the Abijah's division, he would have had regular responsibilities depending on what the rotation was at that time. But we're also given the detail that Elizabeth is part of the daughters of Aaron. And so she too is part of this sacred line of descendants. So Zechariah may part of this. So knowing that both Zechariah and Elizabeth are from the line of Aaron gives us insight into their background as well as their social status within the Jewish community as they are well-respected, well-known that he holds this prominent role in the division and he would perform regular tasks in the temple as assigned or as the rotation uh, went about. And so being part of this prestigious family line, holding this incredibly important role within the community of faith and the society, they would have been well-known members of the social elite. But as we keep reading, we are given even more insight, not just into the family history and public knowledge of this couple, but into their spiritual and personal lives as well. As we pick back up there in verse 6, where we read, Both were righteous in God's sight, living without blame according to all the commands and requirements of the Lord. As we concluded our series in Malachi last week, we saw the final command, from the lord was for his people to remember his word to remember the commands of moses my servant and so now as we see the lord setting this plan into motion we are introduced to a couple that is characterized as doing just that As we concluded there at the end of chapter three last week in Malachi, and and in chapter four, we saw that there was this faithful group, this small group of faithful people who adhered to God's word and who gathered together to discuss these things that was happening in their day. And so this is obviously 300 years later, so Zechariah and Elizabeth weren't a part of that group, but the faithfulness of that group bore fruit as they continued to remain faithful, and it's exactly because of them that we can draw this line, that we have these two people who are characterized and defined as being both were righteous in God's sight, living without blame according to all the commands and requirements of the Lord. And so, now as we see the Lord setting this plan in motion, they didn't just know God's word, they lived it. And they were known For that among the community of faith. They lived it to the point that they weren't just righteous in the sight of their community, but it describes them as being righteous in the sight of God. And so as we learn in the next verse, this did not exclude them from experiencing extreme pain in their life. We see as we pick back up in verse 7, but they had no children because Elizabeth could not conceive. And both of them were well along in years. This is the final detail given about the background of this couple. And so in just a very few words, we know almost everything we need to know about Zechariah and Elizabeth. About everything that they've experienced, who they are, everything within the community. And as we see this final detail, this final detail is the one which gives us the most personal insight into their lives. Though they were descendants of Aaron, active within the community of faith, no doubt well known in the society, and were faithful to live according to God's word, here we see this did not prevent them from experiencing some of the deepest pain that this broken world can offer. In this one sentence, we can feel the pain of Zechariah and Elizabeth, of the years of barrenness. The countless prayers for the Lord to bless them with a child. The shame and the guilt of being looked down upon, of having this high status in society. And yet, as everyone else with that status and in that role has children and large families, they are left with none. The common belief would have been that it must have been some sin in their life that was causing them to experience this type of punishment. And so we can sense the embarrassment for Zechariah's responsibility as he holds this role, and yet he is without child. And so, despite all of this, they remained faithful to trust in the Lord's word, to rely on his promises, and to seek his purposes, even into old age, as we see listed there. And this gives us our first point for this morning. That the faithful are not exempt from the brokenness of this world. The faithful are not exempt from the brokenness of this world. As those who live as exiles, as foreigners, as aliens, those who live in the world but not of the world, in the brokenness but not of the brokenness, we must realize that we cannot avoid the effects of a broken world. The sinfulness that infects all of us has its effect in one way or another. And in fact, as those who live as ambassadors in this foreign land, we must realize that we are called to suffer, that as those who are called to be in the brokenness, we are going to experience brokenness, not as punishment for some sin that we must have committed, that we must be experiencing this punishment, but as part of God's plan to show his marvelous grace through us as we endure the suffering, as we experience the brokenness, it is all for his glory. God is at work in all things at all times to bring about his glory, and that will be our good. That is why we often say that our, what is best for us is not always what we think is best for us, what we want. But as God is at work for his glory and that will be for our good, sometimes that means experiencing great brokenness, great struggle, but it is all for his glory. And so whatever you may be suffering through in this life, we live with hope here and now Knowing that God is at work to bring about his good pleasure in us, no matter what we are going through. However, the brokenness of this world has reared its ugly head in your life. We live with hope for the future, knowing that whatever the struggle is producing in us is for his glory and ultimately for his good. And that's what we see here in the life of Zechariah and Elizabeth they were known for knowing God's word. They were known for living God's word. And yet here they are in the midst of one of life's hardest situations, to have this desire for children, but be without. And knowing that Zachariah and Elizabeth were well along in years isn't just a detail for great character building, although it does allow us to to have a picture of, of them. It allows us to see and to feel and to know their many years of pain of experiencing this. And it allows us to realize what great endurance, faithfulness, and hope these two exhibited. That though they had experienced many years of disappointment, many years without having the prayer for their desire answered, they were known for being faithful and righteous in God's sight. So may we see this example here. Finally, it allows us to realize God's sovereign providence to bring about His glory in this way. We see this as we continue reading and we pick back up there in verse 8. See, they had no children because Elizabeth could not conceive, and both of them were well along in years. In verse 8. When his division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, it happened that he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. I, I love Luke's humor here. At least that's how I read it. I read it as humor. So from the time of David, these divisions rotate the responsibilities of the temple practices. Which means that it was somewhat of an act of chance that Abijah's division was due to serve these particular duties in the temple. And not only that, but that Zechariah being a part of Abijah's division was the one tasked with going into the temple at this point. And so you're seeing what I'm getting at here is that this is not by coincidence, but by God's design. Because this rotation is happening from the time of David. And then from the time of David, as this rotation is happening, it just so happens that the the lot falls, that Zechariah is the one who is to go and burn incense in the temple. And it just so happens that he's the one who has struggled with barrenness, he and his wife, for all this time. And yet he is the one who is to, to bear the son that will make way for the coming of God's messenger. Hopefully you see what well, we're getting at here, that this is God's design. As Abijah's division is due, then within the division, they would assign the duties. And Luke describes this, as it happened, that it was Zechariah's turn to serve this role, which would have him just outside the Holy of Holies. And we pick back up there in verse 10. At the hour of incense, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. An angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and overcome with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will name him John. There will be joy and delight for you, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he Will be great in the sight of the Lord and will never drink wine or beer. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. So, what a moment this must have been for Zechariah. All those years of praying, of hurting, of wandering, of guilt and shame instantly replaced with the promise of joy and delight. Now, Zechariah's reaction is the exact reaction that you could expect, even if it had been a regular person standing in front of him. Just, he turns around and there's somebody standing there. So even if it was just a regular person standing there, Zechariah's reaction would have been one of fear. But imagine you're standing in a room in which only, only you are allowed into at that time. So you're not expecting to see anyone else. And you turn around to light your incense to fulfill your duties in this worshipful attitude and mood. And then you turn your back and around, boom, an angel just standing right there. And it's no wonder that almost every time an angel appears in the Bible, the very first thing that they say is, do not be afraid. And so this is the next thing that Gabriel says that reveals our next point for this morning. As we read there in verse 12 through 13, Zechariah saw him and he was terrified overcome with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. So he calls him by name because your prayer has been What I want us to see here is that God hears the prayers of the faithful. He tells him, do not be afraid. And he's able to call him by name. So this is no act of chance that the first thing Zechariah is told is that his prayers have been heard. Church, may our hope be founded on the solid truth of God's word so that our prayers may be made to him according to his will, his purposes, and his glory. So that when the storms of life come, when the brokenness of this world rears its ugly head, our hope is not found in some half-hearted, wishful thinking, but in the assurance that he who called us is faithful. May we see the example of Zechariah and Elizabeth and know that God is always at work, especially in our suffering, and bring, to bring about a steadfast hope in us that will not be shaken, as this is the hope that takes place in their life, so that their hope was in God's word as they remain faithful even into old age. And the first thing that they're told, your prayer has been This part of this passage also points out to us our next truth, our next point there on your outline, which is God responds according to his plans and purposes. As I'm sure this had been a prayer for many, many years and a prayer, a desire of theirs for time after time they're offering up this prayer and not seeing it answered the way that they want it. And yet here, God, in his sovereign timing, Says your prayer has been through the angel says your prayer has been heard. And how not they're not just given the promise of a child, which would have been enough to make them elated and overjoyed. Where it's just Zechariah in this moment, and it, which would have been enough to make him elated and overjoyed. But what are they told about this child? Well, we see that as we read there in verses 16 and 17. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord, their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to their children. And the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous. We're told there in verse 15, he will be great in the sight of the Lord. So there, prayers Time after time, I'm sure we're not. Give us a child that will be great in the sight of the Lord. Although that, that would be an excellent prayer to be made. is they're desperate. They want a child. And yet, time after time, their, their, their prayer is not answered the way that they think it should or in the timing that they think they want it. And yet here, as God is answering their prayer, He tells them that their child will be great in the sight of the Lord and that he will lead many to the father. This child will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. We also see the direct reference there to the last words that we saw in Malachi. That this child will go forth in the spirit and the power of Elijah to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. So God's sovereignty and providence are on full display in this story. Indeed, throughout all of Scripture, to make for himself a people that would declare his greatness among the nations. For centuries, he pointed to the one that he would send to make all things right. And here, in this story, the Lord is setting into motion the very plan which he ordained and pointed to. The hope that these two exhibited that Zechariah and Elizabeth exhibited wasn't some false sense of wishful thinking. The hope that Zechariah and Elizabeth exhibited was one that showed a deep-seated knowledge that God's word is true and his promises never fail and his purposes are good. And that's not to say that they never had moments in their faith when their faith waned or their confidence was unsteady. But whenever those times did come, They knew where they could go for assurance. In fact, as we continue reading, we see evidence of just that as we pick back up in verse 18. Zechariah says this in verse 18. How can I know this? Zechariah asked the angel. For I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and tell you the good news. Now listen, you will become silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. This shows our next point on your outline there this morning, which is the faithful are not immune to doubt. As a, he's just told the very thing that he has been praying for. And in fact, it is because he has been praying for this and been faithful to God's word and because he is known for knowing God's word and living God's word and being righteous in the sight of God that his prayer has been heard. And his first response is, how? <laughs> how can I know this? I mean, he's he's thinking logically here. Like, I'm old, I'm well along in years, and so is my wife. Now, thankfully, she was not there in that moment. (laughs) So because Zechariah grasped the reality of this situation from a worldly perspective, none of this makes sense to him. Like, he, he sees, he knows how all of this works. And he realized, like, yeah, there's just no way. Like at some point, he is resigned that his desire to have children has moved to a past desire to have children. And he questions the message based off of his limited understanding. In his mind, he had long ago accepted the reality that he and Elizabeth would not have children. But. God often uses the ways and the knowledge of this world in such a way that it stretches our limited understanding for the purpose of bringing glory to his name. See, We so often expect everything for us to be able to uh, uh, interpret and understand everything in our limited knowledge. But God is saying that his ways are so much higher. And one of the important takeaways here is not to challenge ourselves by asking if we experience doubt. Instead, it is to recognize and to realize and to embrace the times of doubt by anchoring our hope in the assurance of God's word, knowing that he is able to answer every question we may have. And even when we don't understand, to hold us in the truth that God is faithful. Friends, if you're experiencing a season of doubt, or know someone who is, my encouragement to you is to see the example here, to use that as an opportunity to lean further into the things of Christ and to dig deeper into God's word because he is able to answer any question and to use that as an opportunity to strengthen your faith, not to weaken it. So as Gabriel defends his authority to Zechariah, He then passes down judgment on Zechariah for his doubt. Because he said, how can I know this? And Zechariah tells them uh, that he is going to have to remain silent. That he will be unable to speak until the day these things take place. So here it is. His prayer from long ago of many times has been answered. And in a miraculous way. And yet he's not able to talk about it. A judgment which... With doubt, which no doubt drove Zechariah into deeper reliance upon God's grace and goodness. As he has just been told the greatest news in the world, not just that he is going to have a son... But notice that this news is that that son is to be the precursor to the coming messenger. To, he will make the way for the Messiah. That he is the one who is going to turn the hearts. He will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to their children. He's just been told the greatest news in the world. The, the, having, his prayer being answered is icing on the cake at this point. And so not only is his prayer being answered, but God is providing for a way for his name to be made known among the nations in Christ. And that not only is he going to have a son, but that his son will prepare the way for the Messiah. And yet he can't tell anyone about it. And we see this as we keep reading in verse 21. Meanwhile... The people were waiting for Zechariah. So just imagine being outside the temple waiting for Zechariah to come back out and give a report or just tell about what had happened as he had presented an incense before the Lord. And they're amazed that he stayed so long in the sanctuary. Verse 22, when he did come out, he could not speak to them. Then they realized that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. He was making signs to them and remained speechless. When the days of his ministry were completed, he went back home. So not only can he not tell everyone that's waiting outside the temple, he can't immediately go home and try to communicate to Elizabeth that the Lord has answered their prayer. He has to wait until his duties are done, until his time is completed, so that he can then return home and tell every, or do his best to tell Elizabeth about everything that has happened. So Zechariah comes outside, has the greatest news to share with everyone, but because of his own initial doubt, he's forced to wait until he can share that message. Of course, he's used to waiting, and he knows that God has been speaking to him in the waiting, all alone. He does his best to make gestures and sign, and everyone's able to tell that something special has happened while he was in there, but they can't tell what has happened. And not only that, he still has, as I've said, days of ministry to complete, so he still can't go home to try and communicate to Elizabeth what has happened. So the real punishment that God uses to grow Zechariah and to deepen his faith in this time is that even after all the waiting, the worshiping, the faithfulness, the fact that he is known as being righteous in God's sight, he has to wait even more for God's perfect timing. And this brings up our next point for what we can see and learn from the story and what we can see and learn in the season of Advent is that even in the waiting, God is working. Because we see Elizabeth. Zechariah can't communicate. We see this throughout this story, but it's summarized particularly well here in the words of Elizabeth in verses 24 through 25. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and kept herself in seclusion for five months. And she said, the Lord has done this for me. We see this throughout this story right here, but just Elizabeth's words here hit home. Let us respond the same way to our seasons of pain and brokenness and strife and doubt, that we would see the Lord's work, his will, his ways, his purposes accomplished through in us through the pain, and that we would say, the Lord has done this for me. You see, church, this is the response of someone whose hope is deeply rooted in God's word. And this brings up our final point for this morning which is that hope provides intentional focus in the depths of disappointment. Hope provides intentional focus in the depths of disappointment. As we see Elizabeth's words there, the Lord has done this for me. He has looked with favor in these days to take away my disgrace among the people. This is the true biblical hope that is provided for those who are in Christ. That our hope is not some form of just wishful thinking, just desiring that something would happen, knowing that it probably won't, of just having just this, I really want this to happen, but it doesn't look like it's possible. That the, the hope that we are provided in Christ is a hope that is intentionally focused on the glory of God and that he is at work in all things at all times. And so that is what provides us hope. Knowing that no matter what pain we experience because of the brokenness of this world and our sinful flesh, no matter what trial we go through, that God is at work in the midst of it to will and to work according to his good pleasure. And that is our hope. That is where we find true hope. That he is always working. So if you're overwhelmed in a season of disappointment, or maybe you're just overwhelmed by our current cultural climate, or by the endless fearfulness spewed out by the culture, then take courage this Advent season. Because it is at Advent that we are reminded that true hope is found in the person of Jesus and knowing him. So where does your hope lie? In the world, in its unreliable ways, in wishful thinking and inconsistent sources, or in Jesus, the word made flesh. Because in Jesus, God saw fit to step into our broken situation so that we may know him in the fullness of his glory. In Jesus, we see the lengths that God will go to to be with us. And this is what we read, and this is what Paul communicates to the church at Philippi in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5, if you're taking notes. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. instead, He emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. And for this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And this is what we celebrate at Advent. This is what we celebrate at Christmas. That the hope that we needed was provided. And has been provided all along in God's word. But that the hope that we needed was provided in the person of Jesus. And that in Jesus God stepped into our brokenness to show us that he desires to be with us. And that because we can't make our way to him, he will make a way to us. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for this season of Advent and pray that it would build within us intentional anticipation and excitement for celebrating Christmas Day, the ultimate gift of hope. God, you have provided us hope, an intentional focus on how you are at work and entrusting your work in your word you have provided us that hope. In the Word made flesh, Jesus, you have provided us that hope. So let us rest in that this season. And I pray that if there's anyone here that does not have this hope, that you would reveal your working in their heart, drawing them to yourself as you are. Show them that this is where they can find the hope they've been looking for and that you would prompt them to respond accordingly. God, help us all to respond in this time of response as you call us to. As you have struck us with this message from your word, help us to respond in in obedience, whether that you're calling us to to cry out in thankfulness, whether you're calling us to to kneel in humility. Move us to respond how you've called us to.